Good morning. You are brave indeed. Thank you for being here. And congratulations on your selection with regard to Darren Vick. And uh, I will join you in praying uh, for the vote. I was somewhat familiar with Darren. He attended the Master's Institute before I joined the staff of the Master's Institute. But because I taught at MI, I got to know him. And frankly, I think he's exactly what you're looking for. Today's Bible reading from the Gospel of Matthew is, as you know, a parable. And you probably also know that a parable is a story to reveal or illustrate a truth. In this case, today, about forgiving. The parable comes on the heels of Peter's question to Jesus, how often should I forgive? Here are some of the facts of the story. A king wants to square accounts with the people who owed him money. One of them is a man we'll call Ted. Ted's the primary focus of this story. He owed the king what amounted to 10,000 talents. Ted is also owed money, and we'll call his debtor Fred. Fred owed Ted 100 denarii. A denarii was the equivalent of a day's wages. To owe someone a hundred of these meant that you actually owed them about a third of your annual income, so no small amount. Ted's debt to the king, however, was astronomically larger. Here are the facts about his debt. Because he owed 10,000 talents, it would take Ted, earning the typical denarii for a day's work, 20 years to pay off one talent. It would take him another 200,000 years, you heard that correctly, to pay off the rest of his debt. A truly impossible debt to repay. Ted pleads with the king, not for mercy, but for time. Was he delusional? Ed's approach was, or Fred's approach was similar, but a bit more realistic. The compassionate king cancels Ted's entire debt. Fred begs Ted for time to repay, but he's denied and cast into prison. The king learns of Ted's cruelty and orders him cast into the prison and handed over to tormentors. Jesus warns that we must forgive people fully even as we have been forgiven, that is, from our hearts and not superficially. Paul echoes this thought, this thought in Ephesians chapter 4 and verse 32 when he says, forgive as God in Christ forgave you. I want to ask you this morning, would you like to learn to forgive those who have hurt you from your heart. It's my observation as a person who's served as a pastor for many years, now past four decades, that we Christians tend to treat forgiveness superficially. We want to hurry through it. We're uncomfortable with pain, and we want to be able to say we're keeping 
God's command to forgive, and so we will find ourselves at times saying, well, I forgive her, without really processing all of the various pieces that I think are essential to forgiving from the heart. If you're here this morning and you find yourself saying, I'd like to forgive that way, genuinely, deeply, to the nth degree, then I want to share with you some of the process that's involved. I believe forgiving people from the heart is at least a seven-step process, and I'm going to share that with you. In order to truly forgive, you've got to acknowledge the pain. You've got to lean into it. You can't pretend that you weren't injured. I grew up in a family, I'm the youngest of six, an Irish Catholic family from Chicago, and we subscribe to the mop up and move on way of living. If any of us complained about anything, my mother would say, I'll show you someone who's got something to complain about. <laughs> and you would be one-upped or ten-upped. And you realized, okay, I, I dare not say anything about my pain, so we became minimizers. We didn't like the victim mentality, we didn't like self-pity, we didn't like the blame game, so we minimized. It's not a good thing to do if you want to get well. I just read a book, I think it was an excellent book by a young woman named Esther Fleece, it's called No More Faking Fine. In this book, Esther says this, I found that if we minimize our suffering to a three on the pain scale, then we only heal at a three level as well. So it's very important to acknowledge the wound and give yourself permission to feel what you feel. Don't pretend. Those who often struggle to forgive from their heart, misunderstand what forgiveness is about. Quite often we think forgiving is forgetting. The Bible doesn't teach that. It doesn't teach that forgiving is forgetting. I think because we misunderstand what forgiveness means, we're afraid to forgive. Forgiving doesn't mean that what the person did to hurt us is okay. Forgiving doesn't mean that you trust the person who hurts you. If I became disfigured by a plastic surgeon, forgiving the surgeon doesn't mean I'm going back to the surgeon. But in order to forgive, I've got to acknowledge the wound and own the pain. I also need to deliberately ask Jesus to come into my pain ideally in the company of a friend or an inner healing prayer practitioner, someone whose ministry is to help people experience healing from trauma. Now, I'm here today to do my best to persuade you that God wants you healed from trauma. We live in a, in a culture, a church culture, and I'm referring to the broader body of Christ when I say we live in a church culture that often ascribes all of the worst of life to God. 
We imagine that if bad things happen, God's the cause. Some well-meaning followers of Jesus cannot imagine an omnipotent God who isn't also omni-controlling. And I want to suggest that you rethink, if you happen to embrace that position, I want to suggest that you rethink that position. Because according to the Bible, Jesus is the revelation of God that trumps every other revelation, and we do not see in the personal life, the teaching and the ministry of Jesus, anything that resembles this idea that God causes all of the various challenges and difficulties and tragedies in the world. In fact, we see a very different picture. We see a God who wants to heal, a God who recognizes that when, he, when people are suffering, they're not suffering because he caused that suffering. The Bible says of Jesus, he went about doing good and healing people who were oppressed by the devil. Isn't that interesting? The Bible says of Jesus, and this is quoted in Matthew's Gospel, the original promise is found in Isaiah chapter 6, that he bore, excuse me, 53, Isaiah 53, he bore our infirmities. Jesus bore our infirmities and carried our diseases. He bore our griefs and our sorrows so that we don't have to. God wants you and I psychologically well. God is interested in healing every kind of disease and every kind of psychological trauma. I was so excited to read a book some years ago called I Prayed God Answered. It's an old book. It's not being printed anymore, but you can find it on Amazon. It was written in the 1970s. A pastor wrote this book. If I recall his name, I think it was Vasvig, V-A-S-V-I-G. One of his sons was 19 when that son was diagnosed with schizophrenia. His son was hospitalized and a whole team of doctors treated him. He was considered to be incurably insane. As you can imagine, this, this pastor was throttled. His, his life was changed dramatically simply because of the pain and the suffering his son was enduring. And then someone told him about a woman named Agnes Sanford. Agnes, if you've read anything by her, you might know that she's the grandmother of what's called inner healing. She was in her 80s and living near them in Southern California in those days. And someone said, see if you can bring your son to Agnes. That person who suggested it had Agnes's contact information. And this pastor called Agnes and asked for permission to bring his son to see her. And she said, sure, come on over. She asked the pastor to remain in her living room while she met with the son in another room. About three hours later, they came out. As far as the pastor knew, nothing had changed. But the son had to be returned to the hospital. After three weeks, the team of doctors that had been treating him said, we don't know what happened to you, but you don't have schizophrenia anymore. They took him off all medications. After reading this book, my, my hope was refreshed because I have a son who, who struggles with mental health and addiction issues. 
He was just kicked out of his 12th treatment facility. He's been a pastor. He's been married. He's lost his marriage. He's lost his opportunity to serve in the kingdom. His life's been a mess. It's very hard when you have someone that you love who's suffering in what appears to be a way that few seem to recover from. It's hard to have hope. My wife and I have felt wobbly for many years. I'm talking a couple of decades. I read that book and it was as if God hit the refresh button on my hope. I happened to be in a conversation with a pastor in Southern California who'd become a friend. His name's Tom. I said, Tom, I just read a book by this pastor. I explained the title of the book and the pa- I mentioned the pastor's name. He says, oh yeah, I know the family. He said, I went to seminary with, with one of the brothers of the, of the son who was schizophrenic. I said, Tom, is that a bona fide miracle? If you're like me, you've heard a lot of stories. Some of them are not very believable. He said, Kevin, that's the real deal. I said, how is he today? He's doing great, he said. God did something that his parents were told couldn't be done. God wants to touch you and touch those you love. We need to acknowledge our wounds and invite Jesus into the wound, often and ideally in the company of a friend or a healing practitioner. Another step in the process of learning to forgive from our heart is to grieve the loss of what could have been. I bet everybody here has a story. It certainly wouldn't be the same story. You're going to start a series where you're going to be talking about stories of transformation. We all have some pain in our lives. And and some things have happened that really can't be recovered. I can't have a makeover of my childhood. I was reared in a fatherless home with a father who, when he was present, we didn't want him to be present. He was a frightening presence. A man who, when he left, had nothing more, very very seldom anything more to do with any of us. It would be years in between visits from my father. I learned as an adult my father didn't help my mom financially. My father was an alcoholic. had two brothers who were alcoholics, an aunt who was an alcoholic, an uncle who was an alcoholic and violent. And I minimized all of that. It wasn't until recently when I began going to Al-Anon, I began to realize the influence of my family of origin on my own psyche. But I've learned also that God wants to heal, and part of that process is being able to grieve what could have been, what could have been, what, what wasn't, but what could have been. And then another step of the process is to cancel the debt. Cancel the debt. Forgiveness is actually a term that comes from the world of accounting. It literally means to cancel the debt. Now, biblically, if we look at the framework of the Bible, people are owed when, they're, when an injustice is done to them, when they're injured in some way, 
They're owed a full apology and often restitution, sometimes seven times what was taken from them. And the truth is, you are owed a legitimate apology by the people who have hurt you. And in some cases, you're owed restitution. But God says, if you're going to forgive, I want you to cancel their debt. Why? Because he's canceled ours. C.S. Lewis said this, to be a Christian means to forgive the inexcusable because God has forgiven the inexcusable in you. Cancel the debt. I want to say to you that canceling a debt is an unnatural act. A more natural response to injury is retaliation. Would you agree? But God wants us to be able to cancel the debt from our hearts because our debt has been canceled, and we can ask him to help us with that. Another step in the process is bless. Jesus tells us to bless our enemies. I've discovered what I call the discipline of blessing. There are some people I've identified that have injured me, and as much as I wish I had thicker skin, and as much as I wish I were more of a man and not affected by how I've been treated, there are some people who when I think of them, I feel at the very minimum agitation, frustration, and sometimes a desire for revenge. And I found it very helpful because Jesus said to bless people who have injured you. He says it in Matthew's gospel and Paul says it in Romans chapter 12. I found it very helpful when I think of them to actually say, Lord, I want you to bless them. Now the word bless actually means to bestow God's goodness on the people that you're speaking the blessing to. Blessing in in the biblical Uh, thinking, mindset, was never to be empty words. Something was actually intended to be transmitted. God's goodness was intended to be transmitted. So it's very helpful to say, Lord, would you help me to bless them and help me every time I think of them to bless them. Now, three of the people on my blessing list are pastors. And uh, I more or less had forgotten that they were going to be an event at an event that I was going to, uh, to attend. And I, I hadn't seen them probably in three or four years. And I had been blessing them quite a bit during those three or four years. And when I saw them that day, I was surprised by what I felt for them. I felt deep affection. I, I was actually shocked at how I felt. God had done a work in my heart while I was practicing the discipline of blessing people I frankly don't like. I don't like them. Now I've learned, you know, Jesus said to love your neighbor as yourself, but honestly, and I don't think I'm looking for a biblical loophole here, I don't think loving people means liking people. He tells you to love your enemies. And then he tells you how. He says, be kind to them. 
Pray for them. Bless them. I suggest you practice the discipline of blessing. And then another step. Pray for the well-being of the person who injured you. Jesus said we ought to do that. He said that in Luke's Gospel in the Sermon on the Mount. Pray for the well-being of the person who injured you. God, may it go well for them. Here's what, what I have been discovering over the years as I've become a little bit more self-aware. Even though I knew these things theologically, they're beginning to land on me after all these many years of being a follower of Jesus. But as I've thought about the people who've hurt me, I've thought they too were hurt. Hurt people hurt people. As I got to know my father's story, it's a very tragic story. A very tragic story. He was one of 10 children, grew up in Lawton, Oklahoma. His mother ran off with a man who was younger than her oldest son and put him in an orphanage. My father was born in 1911. You can imagine what orphanages were like in those days. Life was very difficult for my father. When he was about 12, he was standing by the fence in the playground of the orphanage, and his big brother George came by and lifted him over the fence and brought him to Chicago. Where was his father? I don't know. His mother had given up. It's no surprise my father should struggle with alcohol and find it difficult to be a presence. Now, that's not an excuse. It's not an excuse. It's a reason. It's a reason. Every person who's hurt you has been hurt. Again, not an excuse, but a reason. And it helps me find it a little bit easier to say, Lord, I would like to see the healed version of that person. I bet you would too. The seventh part in this process is keep doing all of those parts. Keep acknowledging your, your pain and leaning into it not pretending, not minimizing, inviting Jesus into it, and so forth. Watch what God will do. Shall we pray? Father, I want to thank you for this congregation and the way you're at work here. You are an amazing God. We ask that we will experience afresh your beautiful forgiveness. We thank you for the opportunity to continue to receive forgiveness and cleansing, and we ask for you to empower us to forgive from our hearts. We ask this in the mighty name of the Lord Jesus. If you agree with that prayer, would you say amen?